So my wife Andrea and I have been married for about 23 years now, and uh, I think we've kind of worked out the rhythms that a couple needs to work out to kind of understand how life is going to be. But uh, about 10 years ago, I noticed something I, I had never seen in her before, or anyone else before for that matter. One night, we're sitting on the couch watching TV, and Andrea's legs started wiggling. Wiggling! It's weird to even say it to you, because... Wiggling is not a word I've used to describe anyone over seven years old. Adults don't wiggle. Kids do. Children who can't sit still, they're the ones that wiggle. Anyway, I said, hey, can you knock it off? That's really distracting. And she said, I can't. I said, yes, you can. Just stop. And she said, my legs won't let me. I don't know what's going on, but lately I've had this uncontrollable urge to move my legs. It's been happening at night, and, and the only way to make it go away is to wiggle them. It builds up, and it builds up, and it builds up, and then I have to do it. I asked, is it, is it something happening in your legs, or is it in your brain? Just a weird compulsion. She said, I don't know, but this has been happening a lot, and all I can do is give in. Well, ultimately... Andrea ended up doing a lot of research on this, and she found out that her dad does the exact same thing. And she has come to understand that she has something called restless leg syndrome. By the way, she gave me permission to talk about this in case you're horrified that I'm sharing her personal medical information. She said it was okay. Uh, you, you've probably heard of restless leg syndrome. Maybe, maybe some of you have it, and, and you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Uh, if you're like me and you don't have it, this sounds made up. This, this sounds like something that you would say as a kid to get out of having to sit still in school or in church. If a teacher said, stop fidgeting, and you could say back defiantly, I can't, I have restless finger syndrome, I have restless body syndrome, how can anybody fight you on that? It sounds like a great way to, to excuse yourself to do all sorts of wiggly activity, but it's a real thing. Around 10% of people in the U.S. have this, and there's really not a cure. It's funny, last year, some very compassionate and generous person here at Crosswinds found out, and, and she told Andrea, oh, my husband has restless leg syndrome, and I have made him this concoction, this blend of oils that makes it go away at night. And so she made some and gave it to my wife, and now Andrea gets to sleep without the restlessness, while I get to sleep next to what smells like a pack of spearmint gum. And yes, she gave me permission to say that too. But, but restless leg syndrome is basically when you feel within you this irresistible urge to move. And I bring it up today because whether or not you have this problem with your legs, I think most of us have something that I'm going to call today restless soul syndrome. There is a restlessness that sometimes shows itself in us and, and we find ourselves in a place where we have to move. You ever feel that? The irresistible urge to shop, to eat, to spend, to drink, to travel, to, to do something different, something else? What I'm describing is a, a restlessness. Now, real quick, oftentimes restlessness can be a good thing, right? I, I had lunch with a friend a few weeks ago and he was telling me about a new opportunity for a career, uh, for a ministry actually, that, that he feels God is calling him to. And I asked him the question, how do you know that God's done with you where you are? And, and he said, for a while, I have been feeling a 
restlessness with this job that I'm in that I can't explain. I, I think sometimes restless can be a good thing. It's, it's part of how God provokes us to what's next. But that's not the kind of thing, that's not the kind of restless I'm talking about as we start this series. Or, or, or when I say to you restless soul syndrome, I mean this feeling we sometimes get of boredom or the feeling that we're trapped or the feeling that we are worn out. We, we are literally restless. And with this restlessness, we find ourselves unable to relax. We are unable to live peacefully. It doesn't seem there's anything we can do to solve it. Because when we do the thing that we think will stop our urge, it just comes back again later. Not too long ago, I was talking to someone here in our church who, who he's kind of a routine guy. Uh, he would say that about himself. He goes to work, he goes to the gym. Uh, his, his weekends are a mix of spending time with friends or doing activities. And, and he was telling me that one Saturday morning he woke up and he realized he was not looking forward to his weekend or, or, or much of the next week for that matter. And, and while he likes his job and he, and he doesn't really wanna do anything else, what he said was that he is bored with his life. I think we all have those moments. And what we do is we dream of exotic vacations we can take. Maybe we can actually go on them and, and we make unique plans. This weekend, I'm gonna do something new that I have never done before. And, and again, maybe we follow through, we do it. But what we find is come Monday, we're back at work or we're back in our routine and the restlessness kicks in again. And what that means is that thing we just did to try and silence the restlessness didn't really work. It just muted the restlessness for a while. The, the irresistible urge is still there. One pastor tells a story of buying his kids Happy Meals when they were really young. They, they would beg for Happy Meals at McDonald's. And uh, he realized it was much cheaper just to buy a big thing of McNuggets and a big thing of fries and split them up and then give each kid a dollar to go to the Dollar Tree and buy their own fries. But the kids would cry in the restaurant and make a scene. I want a happy meal. And so he had to give in. And, and by the time they would finish eating and head home, his, his kids would leave the toy in the car. They were done with it. What he realized is no child truly discovers happiness in the happy meal, right? No one says, remember that happy meal from five years ago? What great joy I found there. Happy meals bring happiness to McDonald's, nobody else. For a kid, it doesn't last. Well, as adults, while we get older, we don't get smarter with this. Our Happy Meals just get more expensive. We buy things to try and solve the restlessness. We begin relationships to try and solve the restlessness. We will drink to try and drown the restlessness. We'll eat to try and stuff the restlessness. We will skydive, bungee jump, swim with sharks, you name it, to try and adrenaline our way out of the restlessness, the feeling, but it comes back. In fact, can I just give you a second? Uh, as I've been talking, I hope you've been thinking, what is it for me? What, what is the thing that I do when I start to feel bored or, or when I start to feel anxious? When I have this irresistible urge to move, what is my go-to? Can I tell you, can, can I tell you what is at the core of this thing? The sense that there is something better out there and you are missing it. And the sense that the direction you're headed is not the right one. 
Let, let me just say that again. What, what's behind your restlessness is this sense you have that you are missing something better than what you have, that you, that you lack something better, and that the direction you're headed with your life might not quite pan out as well as, as a different direction could have. Both of those things, um, those thoughts, lead to a restless soul, a restless mind, a restless heart. And, and here's what I want to tell you today as we kick off this series. Our souls, our minds, our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in God. Your mind that is always busy, your heart that has a wanderlust, your soul that is looking for something more to nourish it, they will always be restless until you find your rest in God. By the way, I wish I could take credit for that statement. You know who said it first? Augustine, almost 1,700 years ago, which just goes to show this is not a modern problem. It is not a technology problem. This isn't that your work is too boring or you sit in front of a computer all day or that your relationships are broken or that you don't have enough money or your life isn't good enough. There's not enough adventure. This is a human problem. Our hearts, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. It was true 1700 years ago. It's still true today. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we find our rest in God? Is it just knowing that God is there? Is it giving our lives to Jesus? Because plenty of us have done that. And let's be honest, we still find ourselves restless. Well, no, there's more to it than that. Actually, what we need to do to be restful in a restless world with restless souls, it's found in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is this poem written by David in the Bible that, that you very likely know. Even if you have never picked up a Bible, uh, set foot in a church, you've heard parts of Psalm 23, probably the whole thing. It's been written onto pillows, stenciled onto art that people hang in their home. It's, it's etched onto tombstones. Psalm 23 has probably been printed on more greeting cards than any other passage of Scripture. People love Psalm 23. Many people have memorized Psalm 23. But far too few of us have experienced Psalm 23 in our own lives. In this series, we want to show you how to do that. We want to help you with your restless soul. I want you to see what God wants to do with your thoughts, that there is something more, something missing. What God wants to do with your thoughts, that there's a better direction. And what you will find in Psalm 23 is that God wants to restore your soul. Is there anybody listening right now that would say, I think my soul could use a little restoring? Then this is for you. It's not a long psalm. We could do the whole thing in one day, but that wouldn't be very restful, would it? We're going to go slow, nice, easy over a few weeks and make sure we really understand what God is calling us to. And I think as we do, God is going to be inviting you to something you may not have made room for in your life until now. Something truly quenching for your restlessness. So let's start in verse 1. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd. And right away, we stop. If God is your shepherd, then what that means is you are his sheep. Now, I don't know how that feels to you, but this psalm uses the metaphor of shepherds and sheep, and God is your shepherd, you are his sheep. 
If you were at our live outdoor service today, what you would be seeing is a sheep or two in the courtyard on your way in. Since you're not, uh, we put that sheep video earlier in this service. Uh, what you saw with that poor overgrown sheep is that sheep need a shepherd. Now, when we hear the word shepherd, we, we typically think of a gentle, mild-mannered person, right? Relaxed up against a fence, uh, maybe, maybe up against a tree, surrounded by sheep in a serene valley, like this beautiful hills all around them, green grass. And, 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 and maybe that's part of the picture, but, but shepherds have more going on than that stereotype. Um, shepherds have to be both gentle and strong, tender and courageous, caring and fierce. Uh, today, in many parts of the world, shepherds are some of the most skilled hunters and warriors among their people. And I bring this up because when you hear the word shepherd, I want you to hear warrior. Because shepherds are out fighting for their sheep. All right. I also want you to hear non-stop. Would you, would you say non-stop with me? I'll say it, then you say it. Non-stop. Non-stop. When this was written, Shepherds did more than sit and watch sheep eat. The, the, the life of a shepherd was about constant care. Um, about five years ago in a city in Spain, the police were alerted to about 1,300 sheep that had found their way to the city center at 4.30 in the morning. A, a local resident woke up to start getting ready for work and he looked out his window and he saw 1,300 sheep there downtown. Uh, he dialed Spain's version of 911 and the police came to try and contain the sheep, which I don't care how good of a cop you are, they don't train you for this. 1,300. And so the police ended up going outside the city into the outskirts where they found the shepherd who was moving the sheep across the region on foot. 1,300 sheep, a very long way, one day at a time, and he had fallen asleep. And the embarrassed shepherd was woken up and he helped the police round the sheep up and they were on their way. Okay, it's to say the job of a shepherd is non-stop. It is 24-7 care. Now, let's look at the next line. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Some versions of the Bible translate that. I lack nothing. It keeps going. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. All right, David is the one who wrote this poem. It's probably good to know David had been a shepherd when he was a boy. Before he became a warrior, before he became king, David knew what shepherding was. Now, we read this about green pastures and, and quiet waters or still waters, and we imagine Ireland, don't we? Or Scotland, just green everywhere. Uh, we imagine the Tri-Valley in like February, green everywhere you look. Well, the Bible describes this land that God's people were in as, as, as a good land, uh, a blessing, but it was not overly lush. It's not exactly like there were green pastures everywhere. Um, yes, areas that got a lot of rain, those were green, but, but those were reserved for agriculture, for growing crops, not for your sheep. So shepherds had to roam the hills and the valleys in these very remote spots looking for places for their sheep to feed. It would be really misguided of us to think that David, when he wrote this, was, was living in a land of continuous green meadows. That was not the case. And that means something for you, the sheep. And it means something for God, the shepherd. It means that as a sheep, 
you will not find nourishment on your own. You will not find the thing that feeds your soul by yourself. Your shepherd will lead you to green pastures where you can be filled. See, I shall not want means I am taken care of by someone else. I am not the one in charge. I have surrendered my kingdom to the kingdom of God. And as such, the result is I won't lack anything. I said earlier, restlessness comes from the sense that something is, is missing, right? That there's something better out there and, and that you don't have it. All right, David writes, I shall not want, I don't lack. Jesus comes many, many years after, after David and he, and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. And, and what that means and, and what this line of the poem means is, I shall not want, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to spend my life worrying about getting enough for me. I trust that I am being taken care of. And because I trust, I will not find myself feeling lack. Now, think about this, this line, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, even just stopped on the roadside to watch a farm with sheep. It is rare that I have ever seen a sheep lying down. Um, they do. But, but I don't see it all that much because I'm not hanging out all day. What I see them doing is what they're almost always doing. They are eating. So let me ask you, if you put a sheep in a lush green pasture and she is not eating, but she is lying down, what does that mean? If a sheep is lying down in the middle of the buffet, that means that sheep is full. Let's talk about still waters. If a sheep is being led beside a quiet still water and that sheep is not drinking, that means that sheep is not thirsty. What David is saying is when the Lord is my shepherd, I am being provided for. I am cared for greatly. I'm not missing something better out there somewhere else. A man named Philip Keller, who's actually a former shepherd, he wrote a book, he called it A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he tells us his experience as a shepherd in East Africa and the land that was adjacent to his was rented out to a tenant shepherd who didn't take very good care of his sheep. That guy's land was overgrazed, eaten down to the ground. And the sheep, they were thin, diseased by parasites. They would get attacked by wild animals. Well, in his book, he talks about how his neighbor's sheep would line up at the fence and blankly stare in the direction of his green grass and his healthy sheep, almost as if they were dreaming to be delivered from their abusive shepherd. They, they, they longed to come to the other side of the fence and belong to him. Okay, here's what our restlessness does. It makes us out to be sheep, looking over the fence, longing for this other pasture, longing for a different shepherd. And what we don't realize is we have the good shepherd. He's not going to leave us in a bad pasture. And, and here's what I want you to know from these first few verses. Your restlessness is a result of you telling yourself that you lack. We tell ourselves that we lack, but the shepherd tells us He'll give us everything we need. We tell ourselves that we lack, that something is missing, there's something better, but we have the good shepherd and he tells us, I will give you everything you need. The question for your restless soul is, do you believe him? 
Do, do you trust that? Immediately after World War II, there, there were a lot of displaced, hungry, homeless children. So the Allied armies gathered up these kids and they placed them in these, these large camps. In these camps, uh, while they were figuring out what to do with these kids, they were abundantly fed, abundantly fed, cared for. These children, uh, many who, whom were very malnourished, had so much to eat and, and, and so much love. However, the adults, uh, the, the, the doctors and the caregivers noticed that at night, the kids did not sleep well. They seemed restless and, and afraid. Finally, one psychologist in the camp hit on a solution. After the children were put to bed, they each received a slice of bread to hold. Not to eat in bed. If they, if they wanted more to eat, they'd give them more food to eat. But, but this particular slice was not to be eaten. It was just to be held. Right. The slice of bread produced incredible results. The child would go to sleep subconsciously feeling like it would have something to eat tomorrow. And, and that assurance gave the child a calm and peaceful rest. All right, David is talking about this feeling when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Instinctively, the sheep knows that the shepherd has made plans for it to graze tomorrow. She knows that the shepherd made enough provision for it today and he'll do it again tomorrow. So the sheep lies down with a piece of bread in its hand. Okay, here's the first thing out of Psalm 23 for you to live restfully in a restless world, for you to deal with your restless soul syndrome, you must know. You tell yourself that you lack, but the shepherd is the good shepherd, and he will give you everything you need. He will fill you. There will always be more tomorrow because your shepherd doesn't just lead you to green pastures. Your shepherd creates green pastures. He's never going to run out of pastures. Okay, let me give you one more thing today for your restless soul out of, out of these verses. There'll be plenty more to come in, in, the, in the next weeks, but just one more for today. Um, remember we said up top that another reason we get restless is, is we, we get the sense that the direction we're headed is not the right direction. Maybe that's because we've made mistakes in the past and, and that put us off trajectory of what we thought we would do. Maybe it's because we got a bunch of choices we got to make and we're worried about which one is going to be the right path. Well, look at the next line to the psalm. David writes, He restores my soul. He guides me. This shepherd guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I like how the NIV translates the last part of that. It says, He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. The life of a shepherd involved a lot of walking. Each day a shepherd would take their flock from the safety of the village and then they would go wander through the hills and the valleys to find their sheep something to eat, right? And, and during this daily routine, the shepherd, get this, the shepherd had to be aware of the needs of the entire flock. The needs of the flock as a whole, but, but more than that, more than that, each sheep individually, like that one over there needs grass and, and that one needs water right now and that one's getting lost, getting a little too far away. They didn't have fences or pens as they were walking to keep the sheep together, they had to use their tools, which we're going to get to next week. And they had to be, they had to be a watchful guide. All right, David says, God guides me along the right paths. Every one of us is guided by something. No matter how independent we are, we are guided, even, even subconsciously. You know, I like to think that I'm independent, that I make my own decisions. I'm aware of what influences me. I could push it aside as I need to. But guess what? 
something is guiding me. I, I just may not see it. Um, this is kind of a, a not safe for animal lover story, but uh, one author on Psalm 23 tells a story of watching a documentary on TV a number of years ago. And this documentary was filmed in a packing house where sheep were being slaughtered for the meat market. And outside, uh, all of these sheep were huddled together, kind of nervous in their pens. And what would happen is a gate would be opened that led up a ramp into the slaughterhouse. And in order to get the sheep to walk up that ramp, the handlers used what is referred to as a Judas goat. A goat that had been trained to guide the sheep up the ramp into the slaughterhouse. And the goat would walk to the bottom of the ramp and, and look back, and then it would take a few steps and, and kind of look back again, and then it would do it again. And eventually the nervous sheep would skittishly begin moving toward the ramp and then start following the goat up the ramp. And, and the goat would get to the top where he would go through a little gate to the left, but the sheep would be forced to turn right and, and they would go on to their deaths kind of makes you not want to eat lamb anytime soon. But it illustrates herd behavior, doesn't it? And, and the consequences that that can bring, right? We're all guided by something. Sometimes the things that we're guided by are, are, are just what everybody else is doing. Jesus said, all have gone astray and are like sheep without a shepherd. You know why we've gone astray? Because we follow the herd. Because we think they know the direction that they're going. I'll just do that. Or, or we think that we know the best path and we get restless when we get on a path and, and then we worry that the path we're on isn't the right path and we better figure out if there's a correct path out there different from the one that we're on. We get restless when we tell ourselves that our direction is all wrong. But here's the thing. The shepherd tells us that he will guide us down the right paths. God will guide you down the right paths. You must know your shepherd is a tremendous guide. And the paths that he leads you on are the best ones. You who are restless and looking for greener pastures and better paths, what you must know, your shepherd has got you. As we kick off this series and, and, and you notice your restlessness, these are the two things to think about this week. You know, you may have been telling yourself that you, you lack, you are missing something, and it, it's making you restless. Rest in the truth that your shepherd is going to give you everything you need. And then you may be worried that your direction is all wrong, that, that there are better directions. Maybe even that you screwed up and you could have chosen a better path a while ago, and, and that is making you restless. And what you need to know is you can rest in the truth that your shepherd is going to give you everything you need as well as take you down every right path. I, I want to give you something to try this week. What if, what if you memorized these first three verses of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. What if you memorize that so that when you feel restless, you can say it and own it? And, and what if this week you were to pay attention, start to identify where restlessness shows up? When does it happen? Why does it happen? What causes it to happen in you? And, and then as it does, what if you meditate on one of these first two truths coming out of the psalm that God provides and God guides? and see what that does to restore your soul. 
Derek is going to close us in a song this week. As you begin thinking about that, even right now, 